You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. How many like family? Come on, everybody put your hand up. Everybody, everybody, because guess what? Guess what? New grandkids. Yeah, yeah. Thomas and Luke. Uh, Luke first were born like 4.30 and 4.50 on Tuesday morning. This is uh, within an hour of their birth there in the recovery room. Whoo, tired mama. One twin vaginally and one twin by C-section. She had the worst of both worlds, but still when she got the chance to hold Thomas, number two, number two was in the, number one was the operating room, she was, well, exhausted, but can you say happy? Now, who's glowing more, Jesse or me? <laughs> I mean, just saying, just saying. Yeah, so Thomas, I was holding in Luke, Jesse is holding, this is in Boise. Do you like that? That's what babies, I mean, they're trying to get life figured out. I caught this picture and just laugh. I mean, he's a cute little guy, obviously. So these are big brothers, Judah and Noah, holding the two. And just, I mean, they're, they love their new little toys. And uh, we went on an adventure and one afternoon and ended up at Dairy Queen. And, and just really fun little guys. And uh, Emily had done her float trip with her camp, and she was exhausted. So she decided to copy the babies and sleep there in the hospital room. Good idea. And on the way back, I stopped with David and Sam and joined Nicole. And the good thing is, Nicole's 18, just graduated from high school, and she's driving a forklift now, (laughs) earning money for college this fall. And she's good at it. So there we go. So if you need a really good forklift operator, I've got one for you. (laughs) And on the way back... Friday morning, early, early, early Friday morning, Baker City, I saw the most exquisite sunrise as I came out of the canyon there into the city. And uh, I just had to think, which is one of the more glory of God, this incredible sunrise, majesty on display, or two new little babies at that point still in the hospital, they're home now, came home late last night. Just an amazing God, amazing God. It'd be nice if life were always this kind of top of the mountain. We all look at Joseph's journey, because they've been following that for a while. And the Jay started us off back in chapter 37. Israel loved Joseph more than the other older brothers, and he made an ornate robe for him. So Joseph begins as the favored son. Good thing or bad thing? We'll see. Well, you kind of know how the story went because I already preached it. The brothers grabbed him and uh, threw him in a pit. We're going to kill him. And then Judah said, why don't we sell him instead? Let's make money off of him. So they pulled Joseph out of the cistern, which is really a pit, and sold him. And he's on the way to Egypt. The favored son is now sold into slavery. So going from favored son to slave headed for a foreign country where he will have nothing. When he gets there, chapter 39, Jay helped us see it last week, his master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. So he's a slave, but here's the Lord is with him, giving him success in 
everything he did. Favored son, slave, Lord is with him. When his master, Potiphar, verse 3, saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Guess what? We're back to the favored, now servant, not son. wonder what's going to happen. Well, again, Jay took us through it last week. Potiphar's wife decided she wanted him as her sex toy, and he said no out of integrity to God and Potiphar, and she falsely accused him to Potiphar, and when Potiphar heard the story his wife told him, the slave treated me, that he had tried to rape her was the story. He burned with anger. His master took him and threw him into prison. So the favored servant is angrily thrown into prison. Round two. Favor because of God's blessing to pit, prison. So in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. (laughs) Gave him success in everything he did. It's like cut and paste. We're back to the same thing. The Lord was with him now in prison. So now he's a slave who was imprisoned and gave him success in everything he did. And there in prison, the Lord is with him. He showed him kindness. Oops, too quick. And granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So here we are again, round three, as favored servant. That's where we're at today, Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to read the story. For those of you at home, you've got to download the PowerPoint so you can, like, see the pictures of my grandkids. You really need to see them. It's a blessing to your soul. And these other things are on there, too. So, yeah, those are listening to the podcast. Like, download the PowerPoint. It's, 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 it'll get you a favored son status. And you're saying, I don't want that. (laughs) Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. And these are high-order officials, very deeply trusted, like a press secretary in the White House today. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After being in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the kings of Egypt, who was being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. And there's no one to interpret them. See, normally you go to a shaman or something and get an official, but there's no shamans in a prison. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed as clusters ripened into grapes. 
Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Well, this is what I mean, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you'll put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when it all goes well with me, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in, shot in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw Joseph again in favorable interpretation, he said, Joseph, I had a dream too. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what I mean, Joseph said. The three baked baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and impale your body on a stake. Hoy. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a breakfast to all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again had to put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This is God's word for our pondering this morning. Quite a story. Quite a story. Joseph in prison through no fault of his own. In fact, his integrity got him into prison. False accusation. And there with him are these two high-ranking officials. We wonder what they did to offend the Pharaoh. Now, it's one level higher than Potiphar, the chief of the guards, who... Joseph got in trouble with, and there in the prison, Joseph's in charge of all those in the prison, made response for all those who were there. So when these two officials were thrown into prison, Joseph was entrusted with them. Why? God is with him. He has favor in the prison head's eyes. And what happens? Now remember, where is Joseph? He is in prison. Why? Because he got falsely accused by this guy's wife. Good days? <laughs> Not exactly. What does this guy do when he's in prison, in the pit? He came in the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So yes, Pharaoh's officials in custody, why do you look so sad today? And see, this is indicative to me of the character of Joseph, is that even though he's got his full set of troubles, he cares about these two men. He didn't have to do that. He had the highest level in the prison, but he sees these other two guys, and he cares about them. He sees their sadness. I don't know about you, but when I am really, really in a pit, I don't really want to go talk to somebody else about their sadness. You take care of yourself. I got my own. He 
asks about their dreams. See, and this is a picture of godly people where it'd be very easy to be completely consumed with your own stuff. He's not like that. He cares about other people who are no value to him. I mean, they're in prison. They're not any help to him. He sees, cares, asks. That's what godly people do, even when you're buried in your own junk. After he asks, they said, we had dreams. And we don't know what they mean. Because, like I said, there are no shamans in prison. They couldn't go hire somebody to give an official interpreter. And Joseph says, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. See, he understands, because he's had experience with dreams and a legacy of those things, that interpretation belongs to God. And that's just like we're going to see with Daniel later on in the, in the Bible. As Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, God gives him not only the interpretation of the dream, but gives him the dream itself. But when Daniel has his own dream, he has to go ask an angel what's going on. Because that's what God does, is tell you the meaning of these prophetic dreams. He gives the interpretations. The cupbearer is going to go really well for you. The baker. They're both going to have their head lifted. One to a position of prominence and one to being impaled in a stake. I think Joseph is feeling. Now, giving good news to the cupbearer, I'm all over it. But what about the horrible news to the baker? I can't even imagine how hard that had to be for Joseph. To say to this guy, three days, you're going to suffer a horrendous death like crucifixion. Only not quite that bad. But here's what he said to the guys. Remember me. He's begging, pleading for help. Show me kindness. Jay helped us see last week that word kindness, faithful love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, a lot of ways to translate. That's the Hebrew word chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. Now come on, say it. Chesed. You really can. Not the soft H of hallelujah. This is the guttural H. One more time. Chesed. Okay, now if the person ahead of you did not wipe off the back of their neck, you didn't do it right. That's one of these super words in Hebrew. Chesed is that faithfulness. You can count on this kind of thing. It's the commitment that's between the strong love between a husband and a wife and even stronger than that. That's chesed. Show me kindness. Show me mercy. I need you to, I need you. I was kidnapped. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being in a dungeon. And the word dungeon there is that word pit again. He was thrown in a pit by the brothers. Here he's thrown in a pit 
by Potiphar. And it's not a fun place to be. It's dark. It's dangerous. Take the worst prison that is around today and put it about 57 times worse and you're beginning to get what he was like. What do you do when you're in the pit? You cry out for help. Psalm 40 is one of the number of psalms that talk about life in the pit. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet in a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, those who do not turn aside to false gods. See, that's not Joseph's song yet. He's not been lifted out of the pit. Oh, he believes his dream. He will one day rule that dream he had back in Israel. But boy, is it not happening today. He is in the pit. His feet have not been put on the rock yet. Joseph asks to be remembered in hopes that God will yet rescue him. But it hasn't happened yet. What do you do when you're in the pit? A favored servant in prison, what could he have done? I found this from one of the sermons I was reading and research for this. It's just really interesting to think he could have plotted revenge. I can absolutely see my head going there. Potiphar's wife, man, what I'm going to do to you if I ever get out of this pit. Potiphar, what am I going to do to you for believing your wife over me when you know what a man of integrity I am? Why did you believe her? Why am I? And I could just imagine him, all the subtle things he would do to get at them. He could have gone into bitterness. That bitterness, that hardness heart that stings everybody that comes near you. He didn't do that. In fact, he saw and cared and heard and asked about. He could easily have wallowed in self-pity. Just the lostness and the hardness of what's going on. I don't know any word for it than just wallowing in self-pity. Lost in your pain. He could have gone into isolation mode. Just put a big wall around himself. I've got plenty of my own stuff. Don't even touch me. Don't look at me. He could easily have done any of those things, but he didn't do any of those. Because why? He's a righteous man of God in a horrible place. What he did do was, well, he waited on God. He waited actively. So here's a passive waiting just sits. But no, he's active. He's being faithful. He's working for God. He's doing God-like things to the other prisoners because that's the favor that he's had. He is witnessing for God through the interpretation of dreams. He's saying, my God gives interpretation of dreams and then does that. And he worships God. See, it would have been very, very easy for him there in that Egyptian prison to have turned to Horus, 
which is the God who is the king of Egypt. If you remember in the next book, Exodus, Pharaoh is the incarnation of Horus. When people look at Pharaoh, they believe that Horus' presence is in him. It would have been very easy for him to turn to Horus or Ra or Isis or Cyrus or one of the other Egyptian gods. He didn't do that. He remained faithful to Yahweh. I want to ponder this a bit. What do you do with dreams and visions? I know people who have had dreams, and what we know is that some dreams are from God. We see it in Scripture. Abraham had a dream. Jacob had a dream. Joseph had a dream. Daniel have dreams. Mary and Joseph, the mother and father of our Lord, will have dreams. Where God speaks to them. I've never had a prophetic dream. I have friends who have. I've had a visionary experience, and that was profound. What do you do with these things? What do you do with these things? Remember that for sure that only God interprets dreams reliably. When I was putting this thing together, I did a search, internet search, on interpretation of dreams. There's a lot of money interpreting dreams. Oh my gosh, I was astounded how much was behind a very expensive paywall. Only God gives it reliably. All the science, Freud's wish fulfillment picture, Jung's you're connected into the interstellar consciousness. You're working out your own, I mean, there's all kinds of theories about dreams, and there's lots of different things, but some dreams are prophetic. What we have to know is we must test the dreams, the prophets, the spirits, because there are true prophets, dreams, spirits. There are false prophets. I've got a list in your notes. Again, for those of you who are listening, this is online in the, the downloaded on the, pod, on the uh, PowerPoint. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears to you, he announces a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place. So what they say is going to happen does. And a miracle accompanies it, that sort of thing. And that prophet says, let us follow the gods, let us worship them. You must not listen. See, just because a dream is accurate or just because a miracle associated with it does not mean it's from God. You've got to listen to who he's speaking in the name of. So the first test, they're loyal to the prophet, loyal to Yahweh. The second test is obvious, is this consistent with prior revelation? God does not change his mind suddenly. When you say, I married the wrong woman, I need to marry my secretary now, God's not going to get on board with that. Even if you say, but an angel told me. Deuteronomy 18. You may say to yourselves, how can no message have been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is going beyond Deuteronomy 8.13, it's not a message the Lord has spoken. The prophet spoken presumptuously, so don't fear him, do not regard him. I know prophets who, well, I didn't get it right this time, but I'm sure I will next time. Do not give them regard if they're not actually speaking for God. Is what they describe or predict accurate. Jeremiah, speaking of the false prophets of his day, points this out. My heart is broken with me. All my bones tremble. The Lord's follow an evil course and use their powers unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. What's the point? Is the character of the prophet 
consistent with the character of God and Jesus. So a lot of times prophets come in from a distance. They come in, do their thing, and then go back into their far place, and you can't know what their character is. But it seems to me this is absolutely crucial, whether it's leaders or whether it's prophets, their character must be above reproach. And I take seriously this thing. Is the character of the prophet consistent with the character of Jesus? 1 Corinthians 14 gives us another guideline. If an unbeliever in a choir comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convinced of sin and brought into judgment by all of the secrets of their heart are laid bare. There's the prophetic revelation of the secrets of the heart. So they will fall down and worship the prophet and saying, this man is great, right? No, not at all. What they fall down and say, they worship God. And see, the point is, prophets, a lot of times, they end up being exalted or their organizations up being exalted. That's a false prophet. A false, a true prophet will bring glory to God, not to themselves. Also in 1 Corinthians, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, comfort. The one who prophesies edifies the church. And see, what prophecy will always do is it will lead to upbuilding, it will lead to encouragement. It may point out sin, that's not to say everything is positive, but it's for the purpose of building, not for the purpose of tearing down. So many prophets only speak negative, only speak apocalyptic destruction, and what prophets do is they speak to what God wants to do and how to get a part of his working. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Do the others affirm their word? I've talked with prophets who say, the Lord told me, and I say, how do you know it was God? They get mad at me. I know what the voice of God is. No, no, no. As soon as you say that we have no right to test your prophecy, you just discredited yourself. Because true prophets work in a context of the congregation of God, the people of God, and that test and that resonating is an important part of what's happening. These tests, remembering 1 Corinthians 14 begins with eagerly desire gifts of spirit, especially prophecy. The chapter ends, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. There is ongoing prophecy. There are true dreams of God. There's garbage there, and we've got to test it. But that revelation that God gives us, specifically information for the sake of ministry, is an important part of what he does. It's biblical. Jesus' followers. When all goes well with you, Joseph says, remember me. And what happens? He's forgotten. The cupbearer, I'm sure he heard the news. He's exalted. Joseph is still in the pit. What do you do when my breakthrough doesn't come through. Again, this is a line I got from a sermon I was reading. 
See, that's the question. He really is. Worship team, why don't you come up here? We're going to sing about this in a minute. This is what Jesus said. He said, love your enemies. Do good to them. You be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The first thing we do is we love and serve all people. When we're in the pit, whether the pit is health, whether the pit is unjust accusation, whether the pit is domestic violence, whether the pit is just the sadness of depression, love and serve. Our present political climate and cultural climate is despise and tweet about. No, that's not the Christian way. 1 Peter chapter 2, honor everyone. That's hard. Love the family of believers, I'm all over that. Fear God, yep, sure. Honor the emperor? When Peter wrote this, the emperor is almost certainly Nero. This is a man who's lighting up the streets of Rome with bodies of burning Christians. He's the most evil man perhaps ever lived. And Peter says, honor him. Not his morality, not his religion, but his office and his status in the image of God person. That's hard, but that's what we're told to do. We're told to honor. People are hard to honor. This psalm, 13. How long, Yahweh, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you turn away your face from me? How long must I nurse rebellion in my soul, sorrow in my heart, day and night? That's the hardness, and you speak it out. At the same time, verse 5, as for me, I trust your faithful love, Yahweh. Let my heart delight in your saving help. That's your chesed. Let me sing to Yahweh for his generosity. Let me sing to the name of Yahweh the Most High. You're singing the praise of God. We lament in suffering. And that definition of lament that we've used before is, is this. The bold faith to feel and cry authentically. The pain, the loss, the hurt, the sadness, the suffering. You cried out to God and his people, but you're also trusting the Lord. He has an ear for our hearts to work compassionately, graciously, bringing beauty for ashes, even when you've been forgotten. Because you know, you remember when God gave the interpretation of the dream. You remember when God blessed and you were successful. But man, you're not there right now. You're in the pit and you're wondering, why in the world don't these walls come down? Let's sing that. You know, when you think about this whole message of this, what do you do when you're in the pit? You reach out, you care, you be faithful to God, you proclaim who he is, even when it seems like he's totally forgotten you. And even if you die in the pit, if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ that comes through the free gospel that he gives, you get to be with him the rest of your life. What if you're not in the pit? What if you're doing well? For a lot of us, that's true. You see and care and ask about and be a help to be faithful as God was faithful to us. Tim Clark, our good friend, mayor of Wood Village, had the wrong city in my head. 
He's in surgery today. I don't know just when. Long, nasty cancer, having real trouble breathing. They're doing something to try to relieve that so he can get a CT scan. Carol, his faithful wife, has her own cancer, extreme pain. They're in a pittish situation. Can we just pray for them right now? Father, we pray for Tim and Carol, faithful, godly people, and just in a really, really, really tough spot. We just pray that you'll be merciful to them. Bring healing, please, Lord. Bring strength, courage for all of us. I pray that you'll give us that mixture of confidence and humility, ability to cry out our protest and pain, and the ability to cry out your goodness and grace. Those complicated life that lives because we live in this broken world where you are present, but evil is also present. Give us the courage to speak who you are, to look for your hope, to be patient in hard times, to love and to serve and to honor and be, be Christ followers. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.